You are listening to audio from Riverside Church. If you would like to check out more resources, please visit riverside.church. Good morning. Let's, let's pray. Mighty God, thank you for your presence here, for, for prayer, for songs, for your scripture, for your table, for these many gifts that you offer your people to form us, to shape us, and to draw us to yourself. So as we come to your word together today, may these words of my mouth and the meditations and the thoughts of every one of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. All right. Well, today we begin a brand new teaching series here at Riverside. Uh, after a wonderful summer in the Psalms, missed opportunity to call that series Psalmer, um, we now turn our attention to Falloshans. Yeah. No, it's Colossians. It's Colossians. Uh, many months ago when I was planning out this sermon series, though, uh, it got me excited because studying Colossians uh, brought back memories of college, actually, in my second year of biblical Greek. And you're like, good memories, huh? Yeah. This was the letter of Scripture that we would dive into, that we would translate we would diagram sentences and exegete texts. And I actually do have some fond memories of like falling in love with Scripture in a new way from those days, even though at the time I certainly cursed the amount of work that it required. But as I opened those books again, and some new ones in preparation to teach Colossians here, it was again a new experience. So as I was reading about the ancient city of Colossae, I couldn't help but be drawn to the river at the center of the city. Why? Maybe that's obvious because we share a, a river running through our city. Um, and of course, our church's name is Riverside, right? Which might be misleading because there is no river at the side of this space. But we are in a city that is built on a river on all of its sides. So and maybe we, uh, we get a pass. I don't know. But we're sticking with it. But I was struck by this little detail that the city of Colossae wasn't unearthed by archaeologists until 1835, which is quite recent compared to when, when this letter was written to that city. It got me thinking about what was happening right here on this land in 1835. So South Bend as a city, it wasn't officially founded until 30 years later, but in the years between 1820 and 1865, it was being established, right? The city, Notre Dame, much of what we see being built up on land, once inhabited freely by the Pokagon band of Potawatomi. But this area, this whole area, is defined by winding bends of the St. Joe River, right? It's where we get our name. And I discovered that the river running through Colossae came from a river where we literally get our English word meander, the Meander River. So you know what me meandering is, right? Going like this? Yes. That's the river that fed into the river that... that uh, runs through Colossians. So Colossae sat in this tri-city area with Laodicea and Hierapolis. It was populated by mainly indigenous Phrygian and Greek settlers, but Antiochus III 
did bring about 2,000 Jewish families from Babylon and Mesopotamia about 200 years before Paul's letter. Okay? The Colossian church itself was almost certainly planted by Epaphras, a native of Colossae, and it seems that just about all of the members of the church were Gentile converts. And there's clearly, from the reading, false teaching all over Colossae, all over the city. And the letter, it doesn't directly talk about who, what those teachings are. It counters all sorts of errant ideas with the power of the gospel of Jesus. So this biblical world of Colossae and our world both were teeming with empty promises and counterfeit wisdom peddled by all sorts of powers and ideologies. But they don't get the last word. And that's why Colossians is so beautiful. We will find some of the most inspiring, all-encompassing descriptions of the good news of Jesus in all of the New Testament. The truth will carry us purposefully down rivers of mercy. Only Jesus truly offers and embodies unimaginably good news for us and for all of creation. So, let's dig in. Verse 1, Colossians 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God, our Father. So these first two verses are a standard greeting, identifying the authors and the source of their authority and identifying the first recipients of the letter. You may know that the apostle Paul wrote most of the letters of the New Testament. And that word apostle was originally often used to formally describe Jesus' original 12 disciples. But by the time of Paul's writings, it also was used more generally to describe those who serve the function of missionary or church planter. But we know from Colossians, from the letter itself, that Paul did not in fact plant the church in Colossae. He was not the church planter there. That honor went to Epaphras. But Paul still has authority in Colossae, apostolic authority, because... He is an apostle, and particularly an apostle to all the Gentile churches. That is his focus, his life's mission. So Paul writes with the authority of an apostle according to the will of God and mentions that he writes with Timothy, perhaps his closest partner in ministry. Paul and Timothy refer to the people of Colossae as saints, as faithful and as family. Saints faithful, and family. This is a trifecta of encouragement and inclusion in the broader church. These are holy ones. These are faithful ones. These are brothers and sisters in the very same family of Christ. And to these, our writers bring grace and peace, which is sort of a formal greeting that you just can use and say unthinkingly, but it's a meaningful one. That whatever the church may be facing, they will always need the grace of the Father, and the peace that comes from the Father. And that greeting continues with thanksgiving in verse 3. So let's read the next little bit, verses 3 through 8. We always, that's Paul and Timothy, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ, Jesus, and of the love you have for all God's people. 
the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the world, just as it had been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned of it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. So that was a lot, right? But I put it all together for you because it's one sentence in the Greek. Paul is a super huge fan of writing really long, complicated sentences. That's why they torture Greek students with reading and translating Paul. Um, But I think it's actually helpful to sort of diagram the logic of the sentence because there's so much happening and it can be so overwhelming that it actually does help to break it down. And I'm not going to do it in Greek because I honestly just am not that good at Greek anymore. But, um, or maybe never was. But I did at least learn it. But let's look at this sentence diagram, uh, which highlights sort of the, the logic of the passage. So at the top of the sentence, we have this main verb, we thank God. That's where it starts. We thank God. Paul and Timothy, we thank God. This whole section is about thanksgiving, right? Because that's where it starts. We thank God. Everything is, everything is based on this thanksgiving. We thank God. Reasons that Paul and Timothy are thanking God. And they're all related to these Colossian people and the way they are living out their faith. So every new indentation, you see those little, there's slight indentations as we go down. Every new indentation indicates each section that modifies the previous section, right? We getting that? I know we're in English class right now, which is a little annoying, but I think it will help us understand. So we thank God is the main clause, but then when we pray and because we have heard of your faith and love, like those are the, the main two things that they're thanking God for, right? That's, the, the, that's where how, the, how the sentence is working, how it's doing its work. We thank God when we pray because we have heard of your faith and love, okay? So hopefully it makes sense as we keep going. Um, So maybe it's obvious that we give thanks when we pray. Often that is a pretty standard thing that we do when we pray is we give thanks. Prayer is a great time to thank God. But the reason that they're thanking God is because of the whispers that they have heard about the faith and the love of these people. Faith describes their confidence in God, their obedience to him, their commitment to truth in every facet of life, and the love that Paul holds up This agape love, that's the Greek word, is at the center of any Christian ethic, defined by the way God loves us first, and it entails active goodwill towards all the people of God, not just the ones they get along with. That's the kind of love that these people have. And this faith and love spring from the hope. They spring from the hope about which they've heard in the gospel. So next week, I'm going to spend a lot of time unpacking some of the beautiful theology of hope in Colossians. We're going to basically land on that word a lot next week. But this is a reminder that the the hope of the gospel can actually be the source of faith and love. So one of Paul's most famous teachings, you may have heard, 1 Corinthians 13, puts those three things together in a trio, faith, hope, and love. It, It chooses one and it says it's the greatest. Which one? Love. Love's the greatest of the three. Okay. Um, Here in Colossians, the emphasis is on hope actually being the source of faith and love. So they're still connected. So 
love is the greatest, and hope is the source. So Murray Harris, who's a scholar, gives, gives titles to each member of this trio. He calls love the senior partner, the greatest one. He calls hope the creative partner, the, one, the, the source, the one who brings life. And then he calls uh, faith the energetic partner. So love is senior because it's the greatest hope. Creative because it confirms and strengthens and breathes life into faith and hope, or faith and love. And faith is energetic because it's expressed, our faith is expressed through our work and through our effort. And all of that hope and faith and love are key ingredients in what we call the good news or the gospel. You heard that word? Yes. Faith, hope, and love are key ingredients to that. And the good news is the same in Colossae as it is in any other church. Paul honors Epaphras for bringing the gospel to this particular community. But he also emphasizes the sameness or the unity of that gospel. That phrase, just as, is used three times in a row. Can you put that diagram back up for a second? See it under in the gospel that's come to you. Just as, just as, just as. He's highlighting the similarities between this church and the rest of the church, the rest of the body, the, the, the people that are being transformed by the gospel worldwide. Every local manifestation of the church matters. And Paul wants to bring deep encouragement to this particular gathering of the church. And so he does. He speaks those words to them. So, that was one whole sentence. And there's so much there, and I just don't have time to unpack every bit of it. Because we have another sentence. And it's another long one. So, starting in verse 9. We begin, this is definitely a prayer of intercession, beginning in verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing good fruit in every work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, and according to his glorious might, that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Okay. I promise all of Colossians is not going to be sentence diagrams. I promise. But I do have one more today. Just, just one more for verses 9 through 14. So uh, it's an intercessory prayer. So that, that verb ask at the top is the, the center. That's like where the sentence starts. We have not stopped praying and continually ask. This is, this is a big ask. Paul and Timothy are asking God to do something for the Colossians. And everything underneath it, is part of that ask, that he would fill them, that, he, that they would live a life worthy, and then all these things that go under what it looks like to live a life worthy. Okay. This is persistent. This is not a, yeah, we'll pray for, pray for you when we think about it. This is persistent, ongoing prayer, and this is big prayer that Paul and Timothy are giving to God for these people. So, the first thing they pray for is that God would fill them and that they might live a life worthy. And what is God filling them with? 
No small thing. If you look at verse, the rest of verse 10, he's filling them with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding, and understanding that the Spirit gives. Filling them with the knowledge of his will, which is one thing, through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. This is a big, huge ask. This is no small prayer. I don't know about you, but I'm often happy to have like a general enough sense of direction from the Lord. Pretty happy to, to like have like a general, yeah, you're basically on the right track. But this prayer is for the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. That seems incomprehensible to have that much access to what the Lord wants of you. It's incredible. I have no idea. I personally have no idea the bounds of wisdom and understanding that the Spirit can give. I mean, I feel like I've caught glimpses of it here and there, little tastes. But to like be filled with that entirely? So these leaders want the church to be wise and understanding and full of the Lord's Spirit, and they believe that the Lord will provide just that for them, that they will have access to this wisdom and understanding. And perhaps part of them getting that wisdom and understanding is them receiving this letter. Because guess what? There's a lot of wisdom and truth and knowledge in this letter that Paul and Timothy have written. So the second thing that Paul and Timothy ask God to fill them with is the ability to live a life worthy of the Lord and to please him in every way. So to have knowledge and understanding is one thing, but to actually be able to live a life day in and day out, a life that is worthy of the Lord and to please him in every way. So this is another slightly big ask, right? Again, I don't know about you, but I am delighted at the thought of ever pleasing God at all. The fact that I might please God with anything I do is a pretty delightful thought. To please him in every way, once again, seems a little inconceivable. My wife is nodding pretty hard over there. Yeah. High bar. <laughs> Super high bar. Um, yeah, and it's, it's one thing to throw out an expectation like we're going to please God in every way and to totally overwhelm the people with a standard by which they're doomed to fail, right? Please God in every way. Go ahead and go out there and do it and, you know, peace be with you. It's one thing to just say it, tell them to do it, and then just know that they're doomed to fail. But there's so much grace in this prayer because it gives them, again, back to the diagram, three very specific ways that they may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him. And it's those three things right under it. Bearing fruit and growing, being strengthened with all power, and giving joyful thanks to the one who qualified them. There's these three handles that you can grasp onto to say, this is what it looks like to please the Lord. So, bearing fruit and growing. That can be hard to quantify itself, right? But thankfully, uh, we have Paul's teaching from Galatians to another church, Galatians chapter 5, where he tells us what the fruit of the Spirit is, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That's what it looks like to bear fruit. If you are living your life and you could be described that way, if those are, the way, those are words that would be used to describe the way you're living your life, you are exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit, and therefore you are bearing fruit in the world. 
This is what it looks like to bear fruit. Not just to live these character traits out of pure effort and willpower, but that they they are an overflow of the Spirit of God working through us. So when we are bearing fruit, we can actually take on some of those names. Patience, love, self-control, kindness. If you can take on one of those characteristics and say, yeah, if somebody looks at you and, and sees those characteristics, you are absolutely bearing fruit. But what about being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might? It's the next section of the prayer. To be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. God is the mighty one, right? And Paul and Timothy want this church to be able to tap into that might, to be empowered with the power that comes from God, true spiritual power. I remember when I was in high school, a local church group somehow made its way into a school assembly at my public school where they performed feats of strength in an attempt to demonstrate God's power. It was as weird as you're thinking it might have been. Um, I have this image seared into my brain of three people doing their level best to rip phone books in half. Yes? Anybody ever tried it? My dad used to be able to do it. He's really strong. Shout out, Dad, if you watch this later. Um, but they're trying to, they're like ripping these phone books in half and trying to convince us they're, that they're doing it through God's power. And they're like asking us to cheer louder so that they can, they can do it more and tap in more somehow. And um, I'm telling you, I was a very firm believer in Jesus at this point in my life. And I was assured in my call to one day be a pastor, but I could not for the life of me make a connection between these buff dudes ripping phone books in half and the power of Jesus. I just, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Maybe I'm being dismissive, but I had a hard time with it. But look at why Paul and Timothy want these people to be strengthened with all power. Why do they want them to be strengthened with all power? So that they may have great endurance and patience. That's real power, right? Enduring And being patient, tapping into the power of the Holy Spirit looks a lot more like healing and liberation and freedom from sin and spiritual oppression. It looks like deliverance from generational poverty. It looks like the ability to walk away when someone is provoking you. Power that yields freedom and serves others, not power that glorifies the self and makes us look super muscular. And then finally, that last bit about living a life worthy. Giving joyful thanks to the one who qualified you. Thanksgiving is not vague in general, but it's directed at the one who qualified these Colossians to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. So, that's a lot. But way back in verse 2, the people were referred to as God's holy people. And now these holy people are promised an inheritance in the kingdom of light. And the kingdom of light is contrasted with the dominion of darkness. Kingdom of light, dominion of darkness. Kingdom of light, dominion of darkness. Uh, it feels like there's a right answer here. I'm going to go with kingdom of light. I think, that's, I think that's right. But the kingdom of light is contrasted to the dominion of, the dominion of darkness. But Paul and Timothy just layer on top of each other here all these incredible 
life-transforming gifts from the Spirit. So we have um, it, the inheritance, we have this light, we have the kingdom of the Son, we have redemption, we have the forgiveness of sins. This is all good news of the gospel for all these people. So think about a gospel, a good news that includes all of this. The kingdom of God and all that it entails. A place where the Beatitudes, you remember, blessed are the poor for theirs is, remember all that, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. A place where the Beatitudes are fully and inarguably true. A place where Jesus' teaching is lived out completely and perfectly and one king sits on the throne. A king with absolute authority and absolute love for every person in the kingdom. One who shares his might with the people who have endured. One who redeems people who once belonged to the dominion of darkness, drawing them into his wonderful light, forgiving every sin which so easily entangles and seeks to drag us back into the darkness. No, Paul and Timothy have good news in mind for these Colossians. He never wants them to settle for less. He never wants them to settle for less. And that is my intercession, my prayer for you, for Riverside today. That the Spirit of Jesus would so fill us in every way that you would know his superabundant grace. And I don't want you to settle for less than Jesus. I don't want you to settle for less than faith, hope, love, and fullness. I don't want you to settle for less than fruitfulness and abundance in the kingdom of God. So one of the next things we're going to do is we're going to sing. We're going to sing about making our hearts an open space for the Lord to come and have his way. Making our hearts an open space for the Lord to come and have his way. That we would be a reflection of all that he is. A reflection of all that he is. That we would somehow show the world the love of Jesus through the way we are, through the way we inhabit the earth, through the way we walk and talk and live. We'll sing that song. We'll sing other songs. We'll come to the table to receive God's mercy, to receive the gifts that he gives to us. And I pray that we will be transformed. Maybe not like in a tangible way this morning. You may not be fully transformed, but I pray that you will be transformed over the long haul. That as you continue to follow Jesus, and maybe it is today, maybe it will be a seminal moment today where you encounter Jesus and he fills you in a way that he's never filled you before. Because the good news is big enough to transform you. It's big enough to change anything that needs to be changed. It's big enough to transform even the the darkest of places with his wonderful light. So may that be true of us. Jesus, may that spirit bear fruit in us even now. Let's pray. Lord, I, I thank you for Thank you for the way that you challenge us and invite us.
Challenge us to walk in your ways, to please you with our whole lives, to please you in every way. And you walk with us every step of the way that it might happen, that we might live lives pleasing to you. Thank you that you rule so absolutely over your kingdom and that you love so absolutely in ways beyond our comprehension. So as we walk up to the table today, for those who do, we walk up acknowledging that we desire to live a life pleasing to the Lord. That we are willing to at the very least stand up and move our feet in the direction that we believe you are taking us. But as we get to the table, we are reminded that we can never do any of this out of our own strength. We are overwhelmed with your grace and mercy and your forgiveness of sins that washes us clean, that animates us, that fills us, that breathes new life into us. We're reminded that the table is pure grace and pure mercy. And that you are the one who qualifies us. So Lord, help us to encounter your mercy. We confess that we, all the ways that we try, fail. We confess our sins before you, our disobedience. We ask, Lord, that you forgive us and clean us and wash us, make us new. And Lord, We thank you for the assurance that we get that your grace is enough. That as far as the east is from the west, so far do you remove our transgressions from us. And that you fill us with your spirit that we may bear fruit in this world today and always. In Jesus' strong name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to Riverside Church. For more resources, visit riverside.church.